0: americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so this is american potential and here's your host jeff krang all right welcome to another edition of american potential thanks for being with us i'm at the all staff meeting for americans for prosperity in orlando florida I don't know five six hundred people. I think is 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 the number that I heard. It's it's a staggering number of people, patriots really, who are doing such great work around the country from all the state chapters around America. And we're trying to bring you some of their stories. You know that's that's what's so great about this podcast. Is we're we're bringing these individual stories to you, and I'm honored to be a part of that. And we've got a great one today we've talked so much about education because it can go so wrong in education, but once someone gets empowered in education, it can go so right. And we see that so often when you try and make a student fit a system, it may or it may not work. But what if the student uh, was able to find a system that worked best for their individual learning style and What if we stop passing students to the next grade until they've mastered the material? Today's podcast guest is a young man who had a tough childhood in a school system that kept passing him on to the next grade without him understanding the material, which just continued to add to his frustrations. He and his two sisters were raised by a single mom, and at the age of 10, their dad was deported back to El Salvador. That's a lot to deal with. A kid. Needless to say, he was angry. Uh, and angry kids uh, don't do well. He he had uh, some emotional problems, and after one of his outbursts at school, his teacher told him he wouldn't amount to anything. Imagine being told that by a teacher. Despite the teacher, he did find a subject that he was good at, and he enjoyed spending time on it. But it took until his junior year of high school to find the learning environment that worked best for him. And after high school, he went on to join the U S Marines, uh, where he was assigned to Marine one. And after four years of serving, he left the Marines and decided to go work in politics. Joshua Solano is the deputy state director of Minnesota for Americans for prosperity. He's our podcast guest on this episode today, Joshua, thanks for being with us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. So, uh, what? First of all, I want to find out a little bit more. Thanks for your service yeah, as oh, a U.S. You. Marine. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Um, so you were awarded the Presidential Service Badge in the Obama administration. Then you went on to serve in the Trump administration as well. So you were yes. on Marine One?
1: Yeah. So I ended up, um, my background is aviation, supply, and logistics. Okay. Um, so I went through boot camp, combat school, down to tech school in Meridian, Mississippi, of all places um, where I actually competed against 14 Marines for a special assignment. We didn't, we weren't told what that special assignment would be. Right. And on the last day of that schooling, they basically said, Hey Josh, or at the time, actually, you know, Hey private, uh, (laughs) (laughs) Hey hey, (laughs) "Hey, private Solano. I might've been a private first class at the time, but you know, Hey Solano, um, you leave in one hour, we're sending you to Quantico. So I went to Quantico. I was with the, um, Marine One from 2014 to, or yeah, 2014 to 2018, two years with the Obama administration, two years with the Trump administration. Um, When you receive your full background checks, your top security, you know, um, secret security clearances, um, and then you work there for a specific amount of time, then the administration awards you with the presidential service badge. So started off in logistics, and then I left as the chief of personnel and administration. Uh, for the supply department where I manned 40 Marines, sailors, and civilians, and we directly supported the helicopters that the president flies on. So it was an honor to travel with them to states and support their, you know, OCONUS trips overseas when they're meeting with heads of state. Um, It was a really unique experience most people don't um, experience while they're in the Marine Corps, I would say, but it was an honor to serve, to serve two presidents.
0: You probably have a cool story about that. There's a, there's a lot of, I would say
1: there's a lot of cool stories. I mean, the amount of, they do a lot of, there's, you know, incentive programs and things like that for good works. And sure. I would say, you know, some of the coolest stories are when you are given a reward of saying like, no, Hey, president is hosting the Greek ambassador at the white house today. And we would like you to go and represent Marine one. And I can't tell you how many events that I've gone to meeting, um foreign dignitaries going to special events meeting celebrities at you know christmas parties and things like that and so i think you know it's a it's four years of just a culmination of meeting some of the coolest people of of all different backgrounds from around the world um it's a very unique experience that i i i think that most people don't understand that the white house is a big place it employs yeah. a lot of people um And there's, you know, 7,000 people that support the president and it's just kind of a wild thing to think about. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I have a few interactions from my time working on Capitol Hill and then uh, elsewhere where I interact. And it is, it is kind of a, it's almost a surreal feeling because it's his voice. Like when you hear the president talk Mm -hmm. in another room or something, it's the voice you hear every day on TV or whatever, but it's like, like right next to you. It's just
1: kind of a weird thing, isn't it? Well, yeah. And there's like a breakdown of character, you know, like when the cameras are off and you are meeting them, shaking their hands when they're thanking you, because, you know, um, I would say the best thing about um, at least, you know, I only served to I only, you know, directly supported two presidents, but, um, you know, when the cameras are off and the doors are closed and they go through the Marines or, you know, the air force personnel, um, and just the nonpartisan staff at the White House. Yeah, right. um, it's like this barrier comes off of them, and you kind of really see how funny they are, yeah. or um, just like their quirks and their personalities, and they get really relaxed. And um, you kind of find out, you know, their favorite drinks or their favorite snacks. And it's just very interesting to be in that environment because um, that's when the cameras are off, and you're not really necessarily watching a president, you know, eat pistachios on a helicopter, and you, right. you know, it's just that it's a very interesting um experience yeah you know
0: yeah what i, I know we want to get to your yeah. story but what was your what's what's your favorite story that you can tell us about either president obama or president Trump that just kind of gave you a window into who they are
1: yeah of? you know um i would say that um you know a lot of the meetings that i had or you know just like support with uh, the obama administration was very professional but I did have an experience with President Trump and it actually was the last day that I left service at the White House, um, where they come in and you get the opportunity. You know, and I had been to the East Wing dozens and dozens of times um, in support and on the South Lawn and everything, but um, each president makes it a point that when you are leaving office, when you're, you know, support of the White House, that they're gonna shake your hand one last time, that they're gonna thank you I mean, they're going to, you know, give you a short conversation. So I would say, you know, one of the most personable experiences I had was going to the West Wing, you know, doing that tour and everything that everyone loves. You know, I love history and I love the White House and um, institutions. I'm an institutionalist through and through. Um, So that was an honor. But it's stepping into the Oval Office and shaking the hand of, you know, at the time when I left, it was President Donald Trump Um, shaking their hand and then, you know, thanking you, but then having a candid conversation, you know, for just a couple of minutes while the, you know, photographer, white house photographer gets ready for a picture and everything. Um, and just having that really personal moment of saying, you know, like, you know, you know, president Donald Trump, for instance, you know, you may not have you know, served my administration the entire time because I left halfway through. Um, but I genuinely thank you for your service and the time that you've you know, put into this country and this institution Um, And that was probably the best moment was my last day, you know, because sometimes, especially in the military, you feel like you hear, thank you for your service a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And until it really means something from the top, you know, is where I really said that is recognizable. You know, it's, it's something that's really, it's really emotional because there's a lot of blood and a lot of sweat and a lot of tears going into serving your country. And um, that recognition is just incredible. So.
0: Well, that's great. Yeah, it's a great story. I love to hear those kinds of stories. So it kind of connects people to, to who they are. And you realize when you're around people like that, whether it's the president or a member of Congress, or whatever, they're, they're regular people, mm-hmm. right? They have the same things that happen in their life that, you know, they have good days and bad days and all of that stuff. So that's awesome. So let's talk about you growing up. Um, obviously, I told a little bit about your story and we had this sort of one size fits all school system that you didn't do well in, and then it wasn't until you found a better way to educate yourself that, that you really started thriving. But I'm sure that wasn't easy. How did that affect your ability to learn?
1: I mean, it affected everything. You know, um, my father isn't, was an immigrant from El Salvador. My first language was not English. Um, And so, you know, it was one of those things where my mom made it a point to go to GAP. So I went, you know, to preschool and all of that um, learn socialization, try to learn English as much as possible. Um, but you know, early on, I had learning issues, comprehension issues, especially with math, um, and numbers and reading and going through to second grade. That's when the school decided me, decided to put me into, um, intensive ESL for second language learners. Um, and I was always behind. I was always behind by third grade. You know, I'd done really well getting ahead in reading comprehension and writing and speaking. and um, But I fell in other areas like math. I, and, I, and by the time I was in fifth grade, I'd never progressed beyond third grade math. You know, it was just something that kind of like, the teacher tried to spend extra time on me, but you know, the classroom sizes and everything like that are a little too big. Um, and I remember when I was in fifth grade, one of my, my main teachers said, you know, I just don't know why you don't, get it. you know, you've had until since third grade to learn how to do this division or how to do kind of like this really simple algebra kind of or square roots. And I just never, and I can't do square roots to this day, but <laughs> I, can't, I don't know who I can't can either. I don't know yeah, that yeah, I want I, don't know who can, I can't do it either. But, but it's like one of those things to where you sit there and you just kind of, you have teachers, people that are supposed to be, you know, there to, you know, construct a learning environment that makes you excel. Um, And by the time I was in fifth grade, you know, my father had already been arrested and then he was on his way to deportation. By the time I was 10 years old, I was a really troubled kid. I had a lot of angry outbursts, like you said before. Um, It was very, it was a very emotional time and that would go through, you know, for any kid, you know. Um, there's a lot of families in this country that, you know, come from immigrants and, you know, the story isn't always a happy ending. Um, and that, you know, um, that affects the family life, it affects the home life and that goes directly into problems at school. And so I do remember after that incident, you know, that fifth grade teacher towards the end of the school year, told me the only reason why I'm going to middle school is because of no child left behind. Otherwise he would have, you know, failed me. Um, and so then I think it was at that moment that my, at least my mom also recognized that the system was failing. Something was wrong. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have progressed. I was facing issues. There should have been counseling or mental help and things like that. But there also should have been a system to where I learned how to do math or science correctly. Mm-hmm. And instead I decided that I was just going to be good at one or two things um, because I could skate on by. You know, I could just get to the next grade level. There's no worries. A D is fine, um, but there's no excellence in that. You know, there's no progressing skills because the whole point of education is that you become well-rounded mm-hmm. and you learn those skills so that you can go on to college or the military or, you know, you know, straight to work or straight to trades. Um, but there was no well-roundedness for me, if that's a word. Um, but there were, you know, um, I had to rely heavily on two things um, that found that I was just below average. Um, And some teachers tried to help, but I would say, you know, there was a sixth grade teacher, um, you know, told me that I was going to fail. A seventh grade teacher told me that I was going to fail, that I was never going to make it. All the way through, it got so bad, uh, my mom decided to pull me out because she was planning on moving. She mm-hmm. was just planning on, on leaving the state, leaving the country even to go live with family in Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, so she pulled me out to homeschool and because she was a single mom working two jobs, that was difficult in itself. Sure. Um, and it worked for my sisters. Homeschool worked so much better for my sisters than traditional schooling did. But for me, even that environment wasn't helpful. And so I felt, I feel like I've had so many different, different experiences with traditional schooling, um, and then trying to homeschool and trying to find this, this niche that worked for me. And it wasn't until, like you said, I was a junior, um, there's a magnet school, um, in the public school system in in the district that I grew up in, um, where they, their entire system is completely different. It was supported by the public school system, District 196, um, and they pulled from all four high schools in the district, but their learning structure and their learning style was completely different. It was based off of debate and comprehension and public speaking and writing and essays. There was no tests. The tests were essays or the tests were speeches or debates between instructors or peers. Um, And I really thrived in that environment Um, and it wasn't until then that I figured out that um, those are my inherent skills. The way that I learned was through that long form teaching and that in spending three hours because they called it, you know, home time because there was houses in it. Um, it was three hour lessons. And I needed that. I, I was a student right. that needed that extra time. Yeah. I needed three hour lessons to understand the world around me. Um, and, you know, 25 minute, nine periods a day is I'm not going to learn algebra sure. in 25 minutes, right. you know, once a week with nine other periods I'm working about worried about right. with 12 hours of homework for all nine periods. It's just <laughs> I don't know. How, I mean, 98 percent of students may succeed in that, but there's I think a small um, portion of kids that are, you know. They learn like me, yeah. they take extra time yeah. and it's different, but yeah. So this
0: changed your life. I mean, this it literally changed your it, life by being just in a different system, different learning environment, different school.
1: Absolutely. Um, and other, you know, there were some students that transferred to that school in junior because it was a junior and senior year um, school mm-hmm. only. And there were some students that, you know, if they didn't make it, you know, a month or, 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 you know, two months, but they were able to transfer back to their high school and carry over the credit or the work that they were already doing. Um, so they didn't lose out on that education. It's just that they came because they wanted a different experience or a different style of learning in classes, but it wasn't for them. And they went, you know, back to their home high schools and they excelled there. Mm-hmm. But that's, I think what's important about this message is you should have the right to try these different things, whether or not you're going to succeed in a magnet school like I went to, um, you should be able to try that different learning environment, you know? Um, and for the students that it didn't work, they succeeded and excelled in an environment that did work for them.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, I just found that I, thri- I, I, I thrived in that environment. And towards the end of senior year, I found out that because I was so bad at math, I was missing math credits and science credits. Um, and I had to leave that school, I had to leave that environment to go back to a home high school and do classes, as much as I, and I, I was excelling so well at um, my magnet school that when I went back, my GPA dropped almost immediately wow. because I was back in that environment trying to make up for the, the math credits before, you know, graduation. Um, and it just proved that it was the experiment of school that was successful for me. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think, um, That's the message of just there's a lot of experiences that people have. Right. Um, Whether it's your home life that affects your educational experience, or whether it's just simply the style of instruction, the style of school. Um, You should have that choice. You should be able to say, does homeschool work for me? Does a charter school work for me? Does a magnet school or private school? Or, you know, maybe this public school doesn't work for me, but the public school next door in the next county may work.
0: Yeah. And, and it may not work for family members the same, Mm. right? sounds like for your sister, the the, the homeschooling was a really good option. Absolutely. Worked great for them. Yeah.
1: And, and that's the thing. I think that that's really key is kids are unique Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of imperative advantage. I'm going to throw that word out there, but there's, you know, there's a lot of unique individual skills that, um, make students and kids just thrive, right? You know, um, if, if they're not good at one thing, but you, they're, they're super good at math or they're super good at sciences. There should be a STEM option for those kids, right? That was not going to be for me. I can tell you right now, I wasn't going to a STEM school. Um, but those options should be available and and parents should be able to give those children the opportunity.
0: So you, after you graduated Mm -hmm. high school, you didn't, You didn't want to go to college. No,
1: because I just let everyone, even friends and family tell me that, you know, you barely graduated, you know, why would you go back? You know, why would you go back to an environment of you're just going to hate it? You know, I think you're going to hate college. Why would you do that? And so I just sat on my thumbs for nine months and I, and I really fed into that. I really fed into that calling back to those teachers saying that I'm never going to make it or I'm never going to be anything. Um, and that you, you know, your childhood dreams are just not going to make any sense. If you're not good, how are you going to be? Cause you know, ever since I was 12 years old, I wanted to get into politics. Right. And you know, you'd have instructors and friends, you know, be, you know, you're never going to get into the Naval Academy with that mindset because you're, you're not good at, at anything. And so I really let that eat at me and eat at me. And so I just didn't go to college because of that negativity. Mm-hmm. Um, I found a home and I found a family in the Marine Corps. Um, believe it or not, I was 285 pounds. I was a, I was a really big kid. Um, and even then, when I showed up into the Marine office, they were like, oh, are you looking for the Air Force office? Like, yeah, I don't know <laughs> if you can run three miles today. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Shot across the bow for those of you in the yes. Air Force, right? But he's a Marine. That's what they do.
1: Um, (laughs) But you know, it was, I think I finally let the naysayers have it. Yeah. And I, you know, they said, we're just going to run four miles today. Can you make it? And I was like, we'll see. I made it maybe quarter of a mile before I just like completely broke down. Right. Um, and you know, I went back the next day and I, and they were surprised and I just kept going back. Um, and I ended up joining the Marine Corps like nine months later. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that maybe my skills and my perseverance, um, tied right into how I was, how, how I found my educational experience of needing the time, you know, a sergeant or staff sergeant at the time, um, actually later on said, you know what, I'm just going to give this kid extra time and I'm going to teach him about what the Marine Corps is all about. I'm going to teach about our life skills, our working skills, um and i'm going to pay attention to him because he's very serious about this and i found that their teaching environment while rough sometimes and harsh mm-hmm. matched the way that i found how i learned in school at that magnet school of needing that three extra hours of instruction that's what matched for me you know and so that carries on beyond school the way that you learn in in k through 12 that learning style is never going to change for me, right? You know, work today. Sometimes I can get an email, um, from a supervisor or someone at headquarters and I just don't understand what they're talking about. But if I can sit down in a room and I get those all the time. The all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if I can sit down in a room and really hash it out with my peers or hash it out with, you know, someone who is my peer, but doing instruction on the topic, that's how I really grasp uh, the situation so I can disseminate that, that information to my team and I can really drive and be a leader. Um, so the way you learn foundational education in this country carries on through your working life, mm-hmm. through your working experience. The way I learn is never, never going to change. Right. And I wish that that option was there for when I needed to learn English in second grade. Right. I wish... But it was there that when I needed to learn math in third grade, if we had caught that at third grade, maybe, you know, I wouldn't have been sent back to my home high school when I could have finished at that magnet school, you know? So I think it's, you have to catch it really early on right? because kids show you their talents and that carries through your life. Right. So you,
0: you were four years in the Marine Corps. Yeah. Yeah. And then after that, you decided to go Go to minnesota go back to go Minnesota, back and get into politics which you said you always wanted to do from the time you were 12. Mm-hmm. what let me go back quickly to when you were 12 what what made you want to get into politics
1: you know so i come from a very activist family yeah um it's it's wild actually so you know my grandparents have always been in the conservative political sphere running for state delegate in Minnesota. We have a weird BPOU yeah. system. Yeah. That are it's, Minnesota it's,
0: has the weirdest political system I've ever. It's yeah. like not. What's your Democrat party? Yeah. Is we don't even have Democrats. It's what is it?
1: Democratic Farmer Labor Party. Yes, that's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's we. It's weird. So we we have we've always been weird. I mean, yeah. even during the time of Nixon, we didn't have Republicans. Right. We had I.R.s, which is just we've always been a weird political state. So. Politics is in kind of gra- ingrained mm-hmm. differently from other, other, you know, yeah. States. It's almost like it's its own culture and its own right. society. Um, but my grandparents always were very active politically. I do remember, you know, them signing me up to be in a parade at 10 years old, you know, and just like walking for a local state Senator candidate sure. that they were friends with or right. something. Um, and then on the other side of the spectrum, you know, you have my mom and my sisters who are, very in tune activists to the left. Um, you know, they've, they're, they were huge activists for Congresswoman Sheree Spear in Kansas um, and the Women's Walk and all of that. And then you have, you know, my stepdad who's just a libertarian and wants to be left alone. But, mm-hmm. um, but I come from a very, very dynamic family and politics started really, really early on. Um, and actually at that magnet school, we had J terms. And so in January, I was able to take a class specific that was called capital policy and law. And I spent a month, my classroom was a state capital. We shadowed the state senators and the state representatives, and we weren't you know, pages, but learning about the process, sitting in committees, mm-hmm. listening to the floor, the floor debates, meeting with our legislators at you know, 16 years what old. What a
0: great way to learn.
1: What a great way yeah. to learn. Um, and it was something that I was passionate about because yeah. I had always, and I, I know it sounds horrible, but for a kid who had no control in his life, um, I'd always looked up to politicians, which is a horrible statement to do now that I'm older, but that was how I looked at because, you know, you, you come from a, a life where there was no control and they looked like they had all the control. So I'd always been, you know, drawn to it. And, you know, at the end of that J term, I didn't have a test. I had a speech and an essay about what I learned, what were my, what was my thoughts going through, what was being debated and what my opinion was on that. Um, and that's just such an interesting style of learning. So I feel like I've been in the political sphere for a long time in my family. Um, they're always fighting for something different. And, um, sounds it sounds like
0: they're fighting yeah. at least, right? <laughs> right? I mean, you must have, have very interesting discussions. Yeah.
1: Even today. I mean, I will say, um, sometimes converse, I, I would say at family dinners and, and Thanksgiving's or Passover's and, um, the conversations can be a little weird. Um, And sometimes I will be the bad guy and shut down the conversations because I'm a bridge. I believe in bridging divides. Um, But uh, eventually they all kind of just realize that they want the same thing. And that's for people to achieve their greatest potential. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, like my sisters may be really left on the left side of the spectrum, but I respect their tenacity. And I, and I respect that they care so much about their country that I can have a conversation with them. we may not always agree on some issues, but I, I would like to believe that, you know, they do love me. Um, but they also believe that I care for this country and that I want it to continue. I want to continue this great experiment, you know? Um, and I think that's the difference of how I view things with people, you know, on, on the opposing side is, I do know that they care. Yeah, You know, when I'm talking to a legislator under the dome in St. Paul, um, I know that maybe they come from a really hard blue district, but I know that that representative or that Senator represents that district. They voted for them through and through maybe 70, 80% wins, but I also know that they care and there may be a conversation that, that happens from that. Yeah. So yeah. So always been inherently political. And yeah. maybe that's kind of where I learned my learning. Maybe that's where my learning style comes from is yeah. long form debates and and learning through a shared experience. Yeah. You know,
0: it seems like maybe in your family, it skips a generation. It sounds like your grandparents <laughs> were kind of more on the conservative side. Maybe your mom, not so much. Yeah. And then you're more on the conservative. Maybe it's yeah a who knows deal. Yeah. It could be. could be. I could
1: be honestly, seriously, but um I also think it's just because I had the freedom to do it. I had the freedom yeah. to make my own choices. Mom is not a pushy individual. Yeah. Um she just loves that I care. Yeah. And she just loves that, you know, she reposts my posts on Instagram even though I'm meeting with someone she may not agree with at all. Yeah. Well, right? she's proud of you. I'm but, sure But you know yeah. it's it's the support and you know it starts in the family. It really yeah. does um supporting your kids and supporting their their choices and being there at least if they're good choices. Um you know to that degree but um I think that that's what really allowed me to experiment, you know, going back to education experiment experiment with that the way that I could find schooling is the way that I could make my own decisions mm-hmm. and and finding out what works for you, finding out what um what you care about. Sure. You know? And I think that that, you know, my sisters and I we couldn't be so different. Yeah. Um and they had different learning experiences and I I don't know the statistics of it, but you know, our homeschool kids you know, statistically more conservative, who knows. Um, but they didn't certainly turn out that way. Right. right. So it's one of those things that, um, the way you brought up really affects how you are and how you learn and how you work and your, your contributions to society. Yeah. I think that's what's important is are you a contributing member? Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, it's been what a great story. I mean, it's an amazing story and uh, we're, we're sort of out of time. It goes so, uh, when, when we start talking about these things, uh, there's probably a lot more we could talk about. Yeah. I was thinking of all these other questions, but, but we, we probably will end it there. But awesome story, and it always highlights, I always love stories that highlight how a different learning environment is different for individual kids. And what I'm always struck by is we have put families in a certain school district based on their zip code When in reality, their own kids probably benefit most from being in different, probably different learning environments because their kids are all individuals and we've got to break that mold. And that's, that's the power of your story, right? Is just, Mm -hmm. uh, and it wouldn't have been right to force your sisters into the learning environment that you had because they wouldn't have thrived in it. Oh, absolutely.
1: Absolutely not. And my sisters will tell you right now, they can't write you know, fifty-page essays—that's just not right. for them. They—they are, they are test takers. Do they know the square root of a no, of a number? My, maybe my one of my <laughs> sisters speaks seven languages, and I definitely don't speak seven languages. So <laughs>
0: yeah. I would say, I would say, Joshua, thanks for joining
1: us. Yeah, thank you again for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Well, what a great story, Joshua has. You have that same sort of story that talks about breaking barriers, and in many cases, government-imposed barriers, where. Joshua went up against a system that was telling him he couldn't succeed because uh, that system is focused on on fixing it for all kids when in reality, kids are different, kids are individual. And fortunately for Joshua and for America, he found uh, the way that works best for him. So thanks for listening to Joshua's story. Thanks for listening to American Potential. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.